Basically, if you're any type of company that touches the Lightning Network directly uh, through a node, then you need to be able to manage that node and you need to have systems around it. So that can be anything from seeing which channels you have, how many payments have gone out or in, yeah, opening, closing channels. It can be even just account systems. So if you have customers that have different balances that you hold for them, you need to... Um, and Torque helps you do uh, a lot of these things. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Sudofin. Today, we're joined by Henrik Skogström, founder of Torque, formerly LN Capital, to talk about the Lightning Network. We learn a lot about how Lightning works, the things Lightning companies need to do to keep the experience seamless for users, and how Torque can help with all that. But before we jump in, I'll quickly cover how you can support the show. First, you can send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us in all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser with Bitcoin or on Patreon if you want to get rid of your dirty fiat. All our links are in the description. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way and Geyser. All their information is in the description. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Henrik Skogström on The Freedom Footprint Show. Henrik, welcome to The Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome, Henrik. I can give a TLDR on, on how we got connected because this is, this is sort of a, a in-real-life uh, connection story via Orange Pill app. Uh, shout out to them so so uh yeah we we met at a uh we didn't meet but i met uh, somebody who works with uh your your company uh tor in a in a live event uh orange pill app event uh in Tampere, finland and uh we were at a, a sauna party and uh and then uh yeah we found out that there's a connection between uh yourself and uh and finland and uh got to talking that it would be uh nice to get you on our show and uh hear about everything you're doing with the lightning network because we we have not had anyone who is a lightning expert in any real respect come onto the show and talk to us so yeah welcome henrik and uh let's uh maybe start off with uh, an introduction uh to uh yourself and the the work that you do yeah, great. Uh, again, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, cool connection uh, through uh, Yoho there. Um, yeah, so introduction uh, of me. I've, I've been working in the lighting industry since uh, 2019. Um, maybe start with my name is Henrik Skogström. Uh, and uh, we, um, yeah, we at Torque, we're building sort of this um, management, lightning management platform for enterprises. Uh, so we've been really deep into how Lightning works and different implementations for uh, almost two years now. Uh, and it's been a ton of fun. So um, hopefully we can dive into something, uh, some of the evolution there as well. Yeah, I've been using the Lightning Network since 2019. And I'm just baffled by how people are so ignorant about it and don't know about it and how awesome it is. Uh, so, so, but, but as, as I understand it, like most people use custodial lightning, uh, lightning, and I'm guilty as charged most of the time myself, uh, <laughs> because I usually just use a custodial service and then put it into cold storage later. But could, could you give us an explanation of that and how, 
how the network, what the network looks like at this point, like how uh, non-custodial is it and uh, what are the trade-offs? Yeah, sure. So I think it's important to remember when you need true self-custody custody, and in what scenarios. The dream world is that everybody has 100% control of absolutely all their money at all times, right? Um, but at the same time, if you have a wallet with $100 in it, it's not the end of the world if uh, somebody rugs that one. It's, of course, bad to have sort of a situation where either a company can rug you or some hacker can get access to it. But there is this balance to, to reach. So what we're seeing currently is that there are major providers that are like Vault of Satoshi and, and these that are custodial that a lot of people are using. Um, but we're also seeing an increase in um, self-custodial wallets like yeah, Breeze, for example. Um, and in these cases, they're very often paired with um, large LSP nodes. And both of these types of companies and wallets have the effect of gathering up a lot of liquidity in certain nodes. Um, and that is by some seen as centralization. Um, the reality is more that it's centralization of capacity or capital to some places. And it's quite natural because if you have, if you're an individual, you don't need $20,000 on your node. Um, but a business or an LSP or wall provider definitely needs more than that. So that is sort of some of the effect we're seeing. Okay. So, uh, um, so can you give us a, uh, for, for those of our listeners who don't know how Lightning works because it's kind of complicated. Is there a, a, a quick way of explaining what the Lightning Network is and how it works? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the Lightning Network is a scaling solution for Bitcoin. So what it, the way it scales Bitcoin is that you do one Bitcoin transaction to open what we call a channel. And through that channel, you can send uh, as many transactions as you want. Basically, what you're doing is just asking the other party and yourself to update a contract between yourself about how much Bitcoin each side has. And that contract is basically just a potential normal Bitcoin transaction. Um, and since this doesn't have to be broadcast to the world, you can do that as many times as you want, as fast as you want. Um, and of course, don't impact everybody else. So its scale is much, much better than regular Bitcoin transactions. Um, the second effect there is that you can have a chance with multiple parties and I can ask uh, somebody, I can send money to somebody I'm not directly connected to because I can ask different hops or different node operators that I have a channel with to relay a transaction through them. Uh, and this, of course, is always uh, done without any form of trust involved in that transaction. Uh, so that might not have been as uh, short and straightforward as it could be, but that's sort of a very short <laughs> explanation of what Lightning is and how it works. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I think most of our listeners have some understanding of this stuff. So uh, the, the thing I'm curious about is like... Uh, the regulations that are popping up in different jurisdictions around Bitcoin. Uh, could you make like a legal case for Lightning not being anything but 
mathematics uh, and thereby like uh, since since it doesn't ever have to touch the base chain really you could just call it messages between people and uh maybe the <laughs> is it do you know of any anyone that's trying to lobby a politician or like a some lawmaker around in, in these areas because like to me uh, you know money should be under free speech laws it should like i do not care what you pay but i will fight to the death for your right to pay it uh, because what bitcoin's obviously pointed out to everyone is that money really is nothing but information and moneyness is more of an adjective than a noun and all of this philosophical stuff that we touch on often in this show um but lightning is a special case i mean uh, you you could make a a good legal case for lightning transactions not being transactions at all but just messages right yeah it's a very interesting question i guess so i talked to some lawyers about this recently and i think it, it depends on what each country thinks related to money transferring laws but I very much agree with the philosophical thought of it being just communication um, or language because, yeah, you you move, like moving money is essentially saying I value this thing. Um, I'm not a legal expert, but it's it's something where the power of it is so big that it should be a fundamental right we have as humans to be able to transact. Yeah, given that we have such a high degree of uh, like everything is digital around us being able to pay online or digitally is becoming so important that it should be a basic human right and uh yeah it, it, lightning is a tool to to make that possibility because right now finance is or payments is a very permission um based system where certain parts of um uh, the globe can't access that system so yeah, philosophically, that's a really interesting topic. Yeah, uh, there's, to my knowledge, like each lightning node does not know uh, where the it knows the what node the transaction comes from and where it's going to, but it does not know how long the chain is and it does not know how uh, uh, what the final destination is or where it came from originally. So, so. Uh, how private is uh, a lightning transaction? Like, uh, I mean, obviously it's less private if you're using a custodian, but but how private is it if you're if you're doing it properly, so to speak? So yeah, a custodian will see, uh, of course, who you are if they're doing KYC, and they will see who you're sending it to. Um, <clears throat> if you're not. Uh, using a custodian, you're 100% uh, generating invoices and paying invoices on your own device. Uh, that can be sort of uh, something like Breeze or it can be a wallet. Then it is, um, then it is very private. The, the hops in between don't see, as you said, they don't see what the length are, where the payment is actually going. If you're the first hop or uh, so the payment is coming from me or not. Um, and this again has some interesting effects on the legal systems, uh, for larger financial institutions and different, um, uh, payment providers, uh, out there. So, but other than that, other than sort of the routing, this is like paying with cash again. It is like you, you sort of pay with cash right through your mobile or 
or um, uh, computer screen. Uh, so in that sense, it's back to very basic and known element that we have. All right. So uh, Lightning is known as a layer two solution to Bitcoin because layer one is, is viewed as the, uh, the the base chain is viewed as layer one. I would say that layer zero is the people involved uh, or are the people involved uh, that because there's no layer one without without the people. So uh, is there uh, is there a layer three c- coming? And w- what would that be in your in your mind? What like what what problem does it even solve when we already have lightning? Like is is there a layer on top of this coming in the future? And what what would that look like? I mean, it's. Um... A definition, I don't know, like there's applications, of course, on top of Lightning. And then we have, uh, I guess, layering is the, the sort of protocols doing something different. I mean, um, separate assets and something like that could be considered a layer three where we use Lightning as the transport layer. And then we use um, some other protocol to have some other meaning to those transactions on top of it. That can be considered a layer three to to add more functionality that isn't possible on Lightning itself. Um, <clears throat> scalability wise, I don't. Tr- yeah, it's it's not something I think would be adding a third layer for scalability. Again, right? Uh, Lightning pretty much solves that. Okay, so what is what is Torque like? Uh, what do you do at Torque? Well, what is the what is Torque? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically, if you're any type of company that touches the Lightning Network directly uh, through a node, then you need to be able to manage that node and you need to have systems around it. So that can be anything from um, seeing which channels you have, how many payments have gone out or in. Um, um, yeah, opening and closing channels it can be even just account systems. So if you have customers that have different balances that you hold for them, you need to... Um, keep track of that um, and all these sort of different aspects of interacting on the Lightning Network and Torque helps you do uh, a lot of these things. I mean, constantly expanding and adding modules to Torque. But right now, the um, the modules we have is that we help you collect data about all the traffic and everything going on with your node. Uh, we then help you um, open and close channels, for example, either manually or automatically. Uh, we'll let you see all that data so you can interact and um, analyze everything that's going on. Um, we also have the ability to manage multiple nodes. And this is important because a lot of the enterprises around the, today, they have multiple nodes for redundancy reasons and for special uh, specializing to traffic. Um, so for example, you can have uh, two nodes. One is mainly sending data or sending transactions out and one is mainly receiving payments. Uh, and then you have redundancies. You might have four because you have two two of each. Um, and this sort of increased the entire complexity of the operation, of course. So because the, the complexity is, is increasing as you add more nodes, and you have more uh, channels, you have more transactions and things going on in your uh, operation, um, this gets uh, ever more complex and harder and harder to manage and build. So what we provide is a platform for operators um, to work off of so that they don't have to um, uh, build everything from scratch and they can rather build the systems and the, the end user experience that their user care about and not sort of know management stuff. You got to remember that, for example, if you're a payment processor or your wallet, mm-hmm. your customers don't care at all about how it works in the background. 
they just want a really cool user experience, want an API, they want a smooth wallet. So there's a limit to what you really want to spend in energy on building stuff yourself. So what we do is that we provide a set of modules that help these companies operate. For example, it allows you to collect data about everything that's happening. You can uh, inspect channels. You can uh, automate uh, or manually open and close channels. Um, you can also manage multiple nodes. And this is especially when the as the operation grows, you can see that you have, um, for example, um, uh, two or four nodes. Uh, and the reason for this is that the traffic is so big that you want to specialize the, the node activity and you want to have redundancy in your operation. So in short, um, you can use Torque to, to simplify and um, use Torque instead of building your own tooling and simplify your organization in that way. All right. Luke, is there anything on your mind? Well, sure. Yeah. So, so I think um, lightning from the perspective of what it actually does for Bitcoin, I, I think this is a, this is a bit of a deep thing because uh, we, we tend to try to avoid any mention of shit coins here on this show. And I, I'm not going to mention any by name, but the, the general idea is that the, there is so-called quote unquote blockchain technology that can beat Bitcoin in the specifically the level of, of fast payments. And that's kind of the idea here. And so um, maybe something about um, what I'm trying to get at here is, do you have any any feelings on what is the real value of Lightning to Bitcoin? Uh, is it working? Is it is it actually helping Bitcoin to do what everyone hopes it will do? Yeah, definitely. And I, I've done large payments on Lightning as well. And especially for something that we use payments for every day, um, up to $1,000, there's everything regardless of uh, self-hosted on Altbergs really well. Um, the the interesting thing there versus a lot of other coins where they're talking about transaction volume and speed and all that is that the lightning settles less than a second. And the the way it scales is uh, is in a way that's super efficient. So when you look at a lot of other coins, what they're talking about is that they um they increase the number of transactions possible um by a few methods. One is just increasing the the speed of the, the block creation, or they just uh, increase the block size. And when you think about that, it it is a solution where they then just not talk about what happens over time. There's a lot of different um problems that arise from that. One is just that the block size um creates an intent insanely large um um blockchain over time. And like that's where I think we in Bitcoin and in Lightning is much more honest about what are the challenges in Lightning today and what are how does it scale? Um, in what areas do we need to improve? Uh, and all these things, uh, rather than just saying, like, hey, we, we have sold it. Everything is fantastic. Uh, it will work forever. Um, we address all of these problems and, and work on them. Okay. We have some big news. We have a new lead sponsor, Amber App. They're the number one exchange in the Southern Hemisphere 
They're rated for the best customer service around, and their global launch is coming. But the reason we're partnering with Amber App is because of the people. If you haven't listened to our episode with Izzy, CEO of Amber App, you really should go check it out. You'll see why it made perfect sense to partner with Izzy and Amber App. That's all I'll say for now. You really have to check it out for yourself. They have loads of great features coming that we're excited to share with you when the time comes. But for now, just check out the episode, check out their website, amber.app. You can see for yourself why we're thrilled to bring Amber App on as our lead sponsor and partner. So go check it out. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi Sabi protocol. So they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Uh, so how did you discover Bitcoin? Like what was your orange pilling journey? Like when, when did you get orange pilled and how? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I went through a route, I think yeah, a lot of Bitcoiners do with sort of the shitcoin route where um, I, I got into it um, basically because I was interested in currency trading originally and discovered that maybe there's a interesting way to trade and make money uh, through arbitrage or momentum trading uh, with uh, bots. So I started playing around with that, a ton of different coins uh, and got swept up in all that in 2017, especially, and uh, went through the entire crash. And I think there's a small percentage each time who then is like, what happened? And realized, like, oh, I should just been at Bitcoin the entire time and, and get into that. And then I started really learning how Bitcoin works uh, and how when I discovered Lightning, it was like, okay, game over. The other stuff is just BS. Uh, let's dive into this. Uh, and I've been working, um, really diving into lightning after that. And where is, where are you on the, uh, sound money journey, like on, on the ethos of Bitcoin journey and the, like, uh, on the, on the more philosophical, praxeological side, like, well, what are your views on, uh, hyper Bitcoinization, for instance? Do you think that's a likely scenario? And, uh, if so, when, and what, uh, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's a very interesting topic. I think, I think I might be a bit unconventional Bitcoiner in that area. I think if we see hyper Bitcoinization in the next year, then the world is in so much trouble that it's time to get your your shotgun and guard your door. <laughs> and the reason yeah, is isn't that, that the case if if we're in, if we don't get into hyper Bitcoinization also? Yeah, I think there's going to be suffering either way. That's my point. I think where. Um, we're in such a trouble. We're in such big trouble with the debt that we're in that there is no smooth way out of it. So essentially, if you stop all lending and you go into hyperbitcoinization and everybody just uses <coughs> that, we're um, quickly into a situation where um, if everybody switches over to um, to Bitcoin today, we're getting into a situation where. I think the economy is going to go through a heavy, heavy crash. Uh, 
So even the housing market, for example. So I hope we, we transition there a bit more peacefully. Uh, yeah, you're, uh, I'm guessing your, your thoughts and your um, idea on it is, is a bit different. And this is something I love to discuss so that the different point of view in this. And I'm guessing that's what you've been doing a lot on the show so far. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're sort of on the philosophical side. I mean, we, we try to envision what, well, what this means and what it is and, uh, where, where the vectors are pointing. And, uh, uh, I always like to, to like to try to extrapolate, extrapolate the uh, thought vector as far ahead into the future and possible uh, as possible and see, see where I end up. And it's, it's kind of hard to see anything but hyper-Bitcoinization happening and given that everything else is crashing. Um, I mean, where else are the money supposed to go? I just don't see how in a, in a hyper interneted world that the, the, the money could go anywhere else than Bitcoin because it's the only stable thing left. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very good point. Um, most likely becomes of um over time it becomes the base uh, value or restore value and perhaps also settle value across uh countries and larger operations um definitely um <clears throat> i guess it depends a bit on what what you mean with hyper bitcoinization is if absolutely every other currency becomes bitcoin and we only transact in bitcoin uh and we eliminate all debt that is um, that is a different scenarios scenario than, for example, we don't limit that, and we um, we have some other uh, credit based systems around things uh, to um, to use as um, uh, in some cases efficiency gains. But um, yeah, it's it's just I feel like the world is just so far out of balance today. The the debt, how debt is used uh, yeah. around the world is is quite crazy. Um, but then again, I'm not an economic. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I mean uh, uh, there can still be debt on a on a Bitcoin standard, of course. Uh, it's just that the interest rates will m- better reflect what the lender and the and the receiver actually agree upon, and w- we won't have these artificial things. I mean, there's there's always a market for uh, lower interest rates. I mean. It's basically a, a bet on on the future. Like <laughs> it's better to have money now than in the future. So so that's where interest comes from. It's just that, and the free market should be able to to figure out the correct inter- interest rate by itself. It's just that it's been so manipulated at this point that it's just weird. Like negative interest rates, for instance, it should make everyone like buy that shotgun and uh, hide up in a cabin somewhere or leave the country because it's it's uh, just not possible. Uh, that word in itself, in my mind, should should make people really scared because that's like the ultimate testament to that you're being played, you're, you're being, you're, you're, you're caught in a system that is using you. Yeah, it's... Um... It's definitely not as straightforward anymore as it was uh, once uh, once upon a time. Um, yeah, I I think Bitcoin is a tool that can be used for a lot of good. It can be used in uh, to fix a lot of systems. But there's another side of it which I think a lot of Bitcoiners don't talk too much about, and that basically is the power of money in the in the direct sense uh, where. 
if you have a lot of money, even if you have a lot of Bitcoin, you can use that as a tool to influence others to do things they basically don't want to do. Um, so of course, just doing work is one thing, but you mostly are happy to do work in order to get paid. But there's a situation where you can pressure people to the point where, yeah, they're still working, they're still getting a salary, but that's the only option they have and the salary is not enough to live off. We don't really get rid of that problem still with Bitcoin. There's still going to be massive, massive um, difference in um, uh, in income around the world and, and power through that. And I think that's a problem that we don't address with Bitcoin and that we should be very aware of uh, both in society today and in the future Bitcoin world. So how, how is the climate at Torque? Like, do you discuss these philosophical stuff uh, in the office or wherever, if you even have an office, I, I guess you're in, uh, mostly online, but, but do you discuss these things or uh, like what, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, we we do once in a while, but we're also very tech focused, uh, and, and love sort of, uh, diving into how lightning works and what it does. Um, but we certainly discuss it uh, once in a while. Um, but yeah, we don't have a, a office. We're working completely remote, um, which changes the dynamic a bit, I guess. Yeah, from your accent, you're you're from uh, the space cat planet, right? Like, uh, but but you're not an astronaut, so so uh, it must be Norway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one or uh, the guys in the team may usually have like a space background, so did in space. There you go. How is everything going in uh, Norway, by the way, uh, if, if that's where you're actually based? Because, I mean, you can't actually tell by where someone is from originally where they actually are. But anyway. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm born and raised in Oslo and still live in Oslo. So I never got out anywhere, I guess. <laughs> Traveled a bit, though. So that's good. But uh, um, here, the, I mean, that's that's one of the things where I'm not too interested in. I guess, in the politics uh, in Norway and how things are evolving there. And a bit of that is that it's so stable. So it might be very dark clouds on the horizon. But for, I guess, most people living in Norway, the economic situation is is quite stable. Uh, prices are, of course, going up. Uh, there is inflation. Um, there is, of course, one of the only ways to get out of the, the inflation we are in is that the regular people suffer. And I think people are starting to notice that, that they have less money. Prices on everything is going up, especially the stuff that isn't in the inflation numbers, like just groceries, right? Um, so um, it's going to be interesting in the next few years when this sort of starts to stress the economy more and more. Yeah, the same thing is happening in Sweden, where the the... Both the Kronos are uh, losing value fast, and it's it's pretty sad to see because most of the populations don't seem to realize what's going on, which is often the case when inflation hits hard. Uh, no one seems to be able to pierce the veil and see what's going on. But you know, the pay no attention to the men behind the curtain type thing. Uh, they're waving with one hand to make you not focus on the other. Um, do do you know our friend Rune Östgård by by any chance? Another Norwegian uh, recently came out with a book called Fraud Coin. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I listened to his uh, presentation on one of the local um, meetups. Um, so that was that was great. 
Yeah, he has some great takes on uh, on uh, the, the situation in Norway and Norwegian politics. He's uh, very active on Twitter, and uh, everyone should follow Runa. He's great. <laughs> An aggressive Trunner separatist, which is interesting, but uh, yeah, he's a fun guy. An, ag- an aggressive what? Uh, he, he he's advocated for the independence of Trøndelag. I don't I don't know how serious he's actually being, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a bit um, humor in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then again, uh, it's the separation. The separation of money and state is the separation of everyone and state in the end. So like, <laughs> so so uh, that's true. The the smaller the better. Like uh, as long as we can still trade between the cantons. Uh, we're fine, I guess. <laughs> Every single farm out there is by zone. <laughs> and there's balance uh, in these things uh, again, I think. But it's um, it's interesting to see uh, that effect in in the difference between the US and Norway and um, different how the starting point is. Um, and I think the um, the effect that you talked about earlier, people not noticing. I think. This is something that's a bit scary for Norway and uh, whole countries, basically, is that some of these effects are they're coming over time and they're quite subtle. They're hard to understand. And I think a lot of people are getting more and more frustrated because they feel like they're getting screwed in some way. They don't know the source of it and they start to blame everything around them in different directions and just frustration uh, increases. Um, I think this is a bit behind the political um climate in in the US uh, I'm not into politics uh the US uh, at a level where I should discuss this but it feels a bit like they're so much further ahead in that frustration than many other countries are at this point yeah uh given the video clips we see on social media over here about uh, grocery prices being completely bonkers over there but uh, yeah, we're we're headed, we're on the same path, and uh, yeah, people should know this. Inflation is not a natural thing. It it comes from some people in society being allowed to counterfeit money, and others, while others don't have that privilege, that's where it comes from. That's the only reason that prices are going up and not down. And inflation is wage deflation. So what it does. It's just making everyone poorer over time. You, you're not getting a five percent raise a year. You're, you're you're losing five percent per year because the inflation is ten percent. So like, and and the real inflation is even higher than that because they in this CPI basket they don't they, they don't take account for house house prices and the stock market and so on. So uh, it, it's it's just a complete joke in, in the end. Uh, and the joke on you. So get out. Yeah. Get some bitcoin. Yeah. And in- Brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's a really good argument to get into Bitcoin. I guess that's uh, why everybody's talking about it. Um, and also, like at the end of the day, it's the people who don't have an option and are just wage um, uh, getting a wage paycheck. Those are the guys who are suffering in order to end massively increasing inflation, which uh, we are in a, in a situation where we have a lot higher inflation than than normal all around the world. Um, so yeah, it's, I think my, uh, outlook on that is a bit dark and pessimistic, I guess. Normal people are going to suffer. The show is also sponsored by Orange Pill app, the Bitcoin only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. 
You can see what's going on in your area and organize and attend local events. I've been to multiple events organized on Orange Pill App, and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. And now, with group chat, it's easier than ever to stay in touch with all your Bitcoin friends. The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill App because everyone pays to be there. So download Orange Pill App on Apple or Android and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. Next up, the Bitcoin way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com contact for more info. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out Geyser at geyser.fund today. How about remittances? Is that a, uh, like Lightning is always uh, um, quite often uh, advertised as being the, the, the real killer app of Lightning being remittances between countries like, um, or at least that's a, a major use case. And uh, I, I don't know how much of the network you actually monitor at, at Torque and like what, what you, what you see and what you don't see. But like, do you think there's, there are remittances being sent from Norway, for instance, to, uh, uh wherever refugees come from, like <laughs> Syria and other places? Do you, do you think there's any of that going on? So um, that's also a distinction in, in Torque where the tooling we're building is focused on the operator operating, uh, operating their node. So they're actually not sending any data to us and we're not analyzing either private data or public data. So we can't see these uh, patterns directly in any way. All we can do is analyze the public um, uh, graph, the lightning graph, which means which channels, which nodes have channels with who. Uh, where liquidity is allocated and which channels are closing and opening. I, I mean, do you think there's uh, there, that there are remittances sent by a lightning from the Scandinavian countries to like Ukraine and uh, Syria and places like that at this moment? Or do you think that's just a fantasy thing uh, at this point? I'm not sure in that direction. I know that Lightning has huge benefits in countries where remittances are very, very expensive or slow or where large parts of the population don't have access to banking um, digitally or even close by. Uh, some people have to travel quite a distance in order to reach a place that can help them, like Western Union, that can help them transact uh, or get um, money abroad or uh, send money abroad. and. Um, then they additionally take a 10% charge or even much higher sometimes uh, on their transaction. Um, and in those cases, Lightning has a huge benefit and is being used uh, quite a bit. Um, so I think we, we need to see more of it and we need to see a dynamic where there are more 
people exchanging directly. Uh, we need more apps that help people exchange in and out of their native currency very quickly in order to see that effect and that use case. Um, because for a lot of these people, they can't risk being in Bitcoin right now. They can't just instantly switch to just using Bitcoin because they're, they have to, to live in a world where other people aren't using it. Um, so there is a bit of cold start problem with Bitcoin in a lot of places. This is such a uh, a sad part because uh, yeah, it's like I I, um, I see a, a Bitcoin ATM in a mall, for instance, uh, and I see isn't this wonderful that you can just uh, go there and get some uh, euros KYC free from a machine? Uh, but when you think one step further about that machine, it's it's only a matter of time till all the vendors inside the mall realize that. People don't even have to go through the machine. They could just accept Bitcoin payments directly. Uh, and uh, I, I guess it's the same with the remittances that people think that they need to exchange the Bitcoin for some local shitcoin. Well, when really they don't have to do that, they could just start this underground economy in their own circles. And, there's, and that's, that shows you the importance of, of orange pilling the people around your community to, uh, to make this happen locally. It's, it's not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen by itself. Well, it is, but but it's gonna go a lot faster when people talk to one another about it. Yeah. I also think like as the size of uh, the market cap of Bitcoin grows, uh, we see that stabilize. Uh, we see also during the winter that the uh, the value of Bitcoin stabilize quite a bit. Um, they have some of these sudden moves once in a while. But that helps in general people just staying within the Bitcoin um, currency. Um, but of course, I think having for a lot of merchants, having that option where they don't even think about them using Bitcoin um, for quite some time, I think can actually be a benefit uh, because then people slowly transition into Bitcoin. Um, and we managed to bring the whole world on board instead of creating this sort of almost division where people are like, we're only going to use Bitcoin and others like, we're never going to touch it. Uh, that's, that's not the ideal situation. We should have this um, transition where the people who only want to use Bitcoin can actually use it everywhere, uh, regardless of uh, other people adopting it or not. And that way we get much more natural adoption, I think. Um, so I'm always torn between this sort of idealistic thinking and ideal world and, and trying to think about how perhaps adoption can happen. And I think we as Bitcoiner have to compromise a bit with the rest of the world in terms of driving adoption without compromising on how Bitcoin works and how we're, where we're going to end up in the end. Yeah, but to me, it's a, th th this is definitely a transition phase where, where, where these solutions between all the currencies are happening because it's sort of like those uh, stationary computers that had uh, two DVD slots, uh, one for burning a DVD and one for reading one. And you could just copy movies that way. When the data is all there, you can just send it to someone. And, and like it's a maybe that's a bad analogy, but but there are lots of examples of uh, of this. Like uh, the phone companies trying to hinder uh, IP telephony and and stuff like that. It's like uh, uh, sooner or later, people will realize that the uh, the network is the network, and <laughs> you don't need the other networks for the network to function. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I mean, it's, um, it's always a mix between technology, limitations in technology and limitations in what people understand and can adopt. 
Um, I think Bitcoin has a bigger problem with um, with how merchants and how people relate and think about it. Um, and I think we need uh, companies who think much more about the commerce side than perhaps the ideal state of people holding Bitcoin in their wallet. I think the, the ideal um, solution for adoption is the case where I can go with my app of choice uh, and pay for whatever in a different country by just scanning a QR code or tapping the phone to whatever terminal that already exists in that shop. Um, and when I do that, it exchanges from my Norwegian bank account into Bitcoin over to the merchants and perhaps back into their currency. Because having that choice um, makes it possible for me to choose either loading my shitcoin, like local shitcoins into Bitcoin, transacting that way, or just having that super seamless um, transition when I need it. Um, so there is no disruption or extra steps in order to pay. Um, that's for at least the, the sort of Europe and US uh, and these areas. Uh, in other countries that have a much, much bigger problem with either their financial system or um, their local uh, coins uh, deflating at an even higher rate, um, it's different again. I think the willingness to hold Bitcoin might be much, much higher. It's funny that we're seeing these days um, like a, a whole thing about what is really going on with with bitcoin adoption and uh right now there's a little bit of twitter drama going on where where uh, our friends uh joe nakamoto and uh paco de la india are are uh, going around the world and and showing bitcoin adoption and uh and um well showing it and also you know trying to increase it and and, and all that good stuff um and there's there's some smooth brains out there. I won't say who they are. Who who are uh, saying that you know that like a, if a merchant allows Bitcoin payments and such a small percentage of their their payments are in Bitcoin, well, then what's the value to them and, and all this? But the on the ground of it all is that just by convincing merchants to take it and and seeing that Bitcoin is accepted somewhere, right? Like the the payment side and the adoption it really does help right like uh it's it's not as if a merchant accepting bitcoin is going to be even like really a negative for them unless it massively increases their tax burden or or regulatory accounting needs or something like that which is uh fair that happens in some some countries that don't get it but but uh Merchant adoption and payments and, and all this, this is what the night lightning network is really for, right? Like that, that's the, the purpose to actually facilitate the payment side of Bitcoin as opposed to just keeping a store of value. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my thoughts in general is that the companies, um, and the people pushing this, uh, online and, um, people operating with lightning. We need to look at how payments work in the different countries, what the challenges are, and we need to solve them. Um, because nobody's adopting this technology, or that's incorrect. A few people are adopting it just because they want to use that new technology. When you look at the total population, people care about money, people care about simplicity, especially simplicity. People, 
even pay money to to not have to bother with thing, right, things. Um, like you see with with credit card fees, and it's like imagine how much money is lost by merchants, uh, large merchants paying percentages um, based on transactions. They're doing that for convenience, and they're doing that because they don't really see that expense. That that's sort of just deducted from what they receive, and it's just calculated into the price. But they might pay millions, millions for this little box that the customer taps uh, in order to pay them, or whatever form they fill in to to pay um, for their goods online. And for lightning adoption in certain countries, we need to reach the point where the simplicity is equal uh, and. Uh, People don't really think about this differently, but we get all the benefits we get from Lightning transactions, which is the final settlement. We get the speed of that transaction. Uh, the price of that transaction is much lower, especially if you do it right. Uh, we need um, we need to just show that and sell that, not sell Bitcoin in the beginning to get these people because they don't care about Bitcoin, right? We care about Bitcoin and we're trying to get people to care about Bitcoin because of all the important um, benefits that has. But as we see on massive scale, people don't do their do what's good for them necessarily, right? Uh, convenience and just going through your day is often enough uh, for people to just, I don't know, be distracted and not caring about the important parts of this. So we need to meet people um, where they are and we need to solve the problems in each country and we need to yeah make it easy for people to make the right choice any thoughts on el salvador and what is going on there and any thoughts on chivo wallet is that a psyop like is that the a cbdc in disguise like well what are your thoughts on el salvador in general um to be honest, I'm not deep enough into it. I see stuff on Twitter, but it's so easy on Twitter to just say like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good, right? Um, without really looking deeper into what's gone on. Um, I've heard there is uh, issues with adoption, and I think that goes back to the same stuff I talked about earlier. Um, people don't understand it. They don't necessarily know uh, what's good for them. Um, it is a hard trans- uh, transition, right? Imagine that we, we just suddenly come in and say like, yeah, in 1997, we say just everybody should use internet right now to send mail. Like the, the, a lot of people aren't going to do that, right? Um, and the convenience just isn't high enough. So we need to, to, to get to that point and need to be not necessarily patient, uh, but need to understand how heavy and how much needs to change to get there. So I'm actually quite positive what's happening in El Salvador in terms of uh, whatever adoption we have, uh, we need to just keep working on it and, and increase that. But yeah, again, I, I'm not too deep into it. There's probably a lot of problems uh, in different places uh, that you alluded to that I, I'm not deeply into enough because I'm so focused on building and working in the lighting industry from a technical perspective. Well, that's great. That's the division of labor. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Focus, focus on what you're good at and uh, things will sort themselves out, right, Luke? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we need people who understand the technical side. And, and I've got a technical background and I still even have a fiat job that's kind of tech oriented. And the, the thing is, it, it's still really not something that I can personally focus on, uh, building the the tech side, juggling a, a fiat job and something like that. And so, so 
Yeah, for for people who actually are able to make the the leap to to uh, work on Bitcoin, it's it's really fantastic to see. And and I mean, how does it work that that uh, to actually get developers and technical people to be able to do more things with Bitcoin? Because I I really do see it, it as a as a problem that, for example, they can just again with the shit coins, they can just get a bag of shitcoin money to go work on some blockchain project or they can mine fiat and do normie things um how, how do we get developers to to uh bitcoin and to understand uh why it's important for them to spend their time on that yeah i mean i think there's a lot more developers who really want to work with bitcoin and on bitcoin than the people who get the chance to do it um the reason for that is, uh, as you said, with with shitcoins, you can just basically print money out of nowhere uh, and convince people through massive amount of marketing that they're worth something and uh, then cash that out in order to fund your development uh, or fund VCs, essentially. And a lot of VCs have gotten used to the fact that you, you create this token, you dump it on people uh, within a year or two. And if you're a VC, and you get the choice between a regular startup that spends 10 years until they can cash out um, or two years from some yeah, token, um, you're going to do the former, uh, no, the later. <laughs> um, and that's where Bitcoin is in this position where funding-wise, they, they operate like a normal um, startup. So it is 10-year horizon things, right? Um, while the investors who are there are often coming from sort of that general crypto space. Uh, of course, we have Bitcoin-focused VCs and they're often really good, but there's a limited amount of money in that, which in, in sort of the, the Bitcoin-focused one. So, so you have this huge division uh, and separation between sort of the rest of the, the VC world and sort of the, the Bitcoin VCs. And... That results in less money for the true Bitcoin companies, uh, which results in fewer jobs. So there are a lot of people right now who's just either uh, part-time or full-time working on open source projects or in companies for lower wages because they're really passionate about getting this to work and doing the work that is needed um, for Bitcoin to evolve and to work. And... um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it is something that's worthwhile doing because this industry is growing uh, steadily through the bear market. It grows, of course, um, a lot in funding-wise in the in the bull market. And the only way to really get into this industry is through proof of work. Uh, you need to show that you understand Bitcoin. And especially Lightning has a complexity that's higher. It is harder to understand. There's more terms, um, both from sort of user perspective and from development perspective of how the network works. Um, so yeah, proof of work, you really dive into it, uh, spare time in the beginning if you need to and uh, get into the industry now. Yeah, proof of work leads, leading up to proof of results uh, at some point. That's what we're looking for. Henrik, thank you very much for the conversation and I uh, hope to see you soon. Uh, before before we leave, uh, can you guide our listeners to where to find you and where to find Torque? And uh, are you attending any conferences this year or stuff like that? 
Yeah, I've, uh, I'm attending the Adopting Bitcoin conference. Uh, so uh, go there. I think that's a great uh, conference uh, also for Lightning. Um, you can find Torque at um, Twitter with at uh, Torque LN and uh, myself at O. Henrik Skogstrom. They're hard to pronounce and <laughs> understand. So maybe we can add something in the show notes. Um, but that's the main two channels. Uh, we're also writing a lot of content on Tor Gellad uh, to, to help bring people uh, into Lightning. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Henrik. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening. So what did you think of that episode with Henrik? It was interesting to learn more about how the Lightning Network works under the hood. What was your favorite moment? Let us know. You can send us a boostergram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Our show's sponsors are Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, and Geyser. All their information is in the description. That's all for now. See you next time and thanks for listening. Thank you.